Welcome to the M&A Cornercast, a podcast focused on the world of mergers and acquisitions. Helping inform the business owners and advisors we work with every day. I'm your host, Chuck Dallas. I have more than 10 years of experience with mergers and acquisitions, both from a corporate perspective and as an outside advisor. Today, I'm going to welcome Greg Gauthier, partner with Foxwood Associates, a management advisory firm here in Green Bay. Welcome, Greg. Glad to be here, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you very much. Say, Greg, your firm and your advisors are trusted partners with many corporations and CEOs of of those companies. In researching your firm, I noticed that you talk about four foundational components in every organization, the four S's. Let's talk about it. Your first S is structure. Yeah. The four S's are structure, systems, skills, and strategy. And I think the best way to think about those as a framework or a lens by which you can look at a business, you look through it for a business. So if a business is performing well, it's performing in all of these areas and all of those areas are balanced and they're aligned with one another. Sure. And that's oftentimes easier said than done. So what is structure? Structure is all the things about how we're bolted together. What's our legal structure? What's our organizational structure? What's our geographic structure? Do we have divisions? Do we have multiple plants or locations that are around? Um, Do we have multiple divisions within one location? or multiple locations. So that's a structure issue. Systems issues are how we do things. It's how do we communicate with one another? How do we run our plant? How do we get new customers? It's how we do things. It's everything in its breath. Right. Skills. Skills are just that. It's what skills do we have in the organization? When we look at the structure, we say in the organizational structure, do we have gaps in there? And maybe we don't have gaps in the organizational structure, but do we have the right skills? We talk about the people on the bus in the right seat. Do we have the right skills in the right places? And then strategy. Strategy about where are we going? Now, the important piece to understand about all of these is you can't change one of them without it impacting the other three. Sure. So I can't change my organizational structure without having to think, what are the implications? on our operating practices or systems that we have or change our strategy. And I have to ask, do I have the skills to be able to execute that strategy? Are the systems in place to be able to do that? All of these are interdependent with one another. I mentioned alignment and balance. Those are two important concepts to think about when you think about these four. And it's good to think about it just in the kind of using the metaphor of your car. So what does alignment mean? Alignment means that all of these are aligned with one another to move us in the same direction. Right. So in other words, are the priorities that we have maybe in the plant the same priorities that we have in the sales organization? Or are we going different directions? Do they have one set of initiatives and maybe values and priorities? And we got a different set over here in another division, in another plant, in another area, or maybe just in another room in the same building. Right. Because if those aren't in aligned with one another, not only are we not going to realize the goal of what we establish and put in place to do, but we're also going to create some problems with ourselves. Right. We've got to ask, is our structure right? Do we have the right systems in place? Those all need to be aligned. And we talk about that from a planning perspective. That's why we start with corporate goals. What are the goals of the business at the highest level? And then we cascade those down at the next level. What do we have to do at the next level to be successful at the level above? And we do that successively down through the organization. I mean, theoretically, we believe that we should be able to go out into any cubicle or workstation in the company and say, what are you doing? And how does what you do contribute to the highest goal we have in the organization? And we theorize, we'd want to hear, well, what I do contributes to this goal we have for our unit that contributes to this goal for this, our division or our department. And ultimately that's how I serve the bigger goals of the organization. Right. Well, and and 
you hope, Greg, that that employee doesn't say to you, I don't really know what our right. goal is, right? Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. Not only am I not aligned, I don't even know what I should be aligned with. Right. Right. And, and we, we're chuckling, but that's often the case. Oh, exactly. That's often the case. Yeah. And then we wonder, why don't we have the engagement we're looking for? Why are we getting the traction? Why are we getting the results? We have all these great plans, right. but we're just not able to execute on the plans. Well, it's because we're not all pulling in that harness together. You know, I think about just what popped in my head is this picture of a dog sled. And you've got maybe the CEO or something, and, and his job is to choose where we're going with this. But you yeah. know, I've watched some things about the Iditarod, and what happens somewhere in those races is those dogs are so aligned and so focused on the vision of where they're going that that tired and exhausted musher can climb into the sled once in a while and catch a nap while those dogs are racing ahead to the finish line because they know where they're going. They're in alignment. They're all pulling in the same direction. We don't have the musher out front dragging them by their leash (laughs) to someplace. They're pulling him because they know where they're going. And by the way, those are motivated dogs. Right. right? Yes. They're pulling hard in the harness and he's sleeping. He's taking a nap back there. And I don't think our, we want our CEOs to take a nap literally. <laughs> right. But yeah. as a metaphor, you know, that CEO, if done right, ought to be able to not take a nap but be able to now focus on other important things. Like right. what's beyond the next checkpoint? My yep. dogs know how to get to the next checkpoint. I need to be thinking one checkpoint beyond that. And I'm thinking about the race overall, where they're just thinking, I need to get us fast to the next checkpoint. That's appropriate. Yeah. I think management has changed over the years from the standpoint of maybe it was just the CEO or the owner that would be making these decisions and and trying to have it move forward as you're stating. But now to have your line employees, your middle managers, people that are probably more used to the day-to-day type operations within your business, to empower them to be part of this, that's that's where you see some success, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I I would say that's not a function of time. It's more a function of attitude of the leader. And I suppose if we look back historically, there was a prevalence of a certain attitude that has shifted in the last two, three, four decades. But that old notion that the CEO has got to be or is the smartest person in the room, that's a tough job. That's a Being a CEO is a really tough job. Right. If your organization holds you to that expectation or if you hold yourself to that expectation. We know now, and, and it's proven over and over in all size companies, that the, the best leaders and the most effective companies, most successful organizations are ones where the leader is able to hire and motivate a team of people around them who are all the best at what they do. And I can share with you that as an owner myself, it is so reassuring to come into a staff meeting, put a problem on the table that I don't know how to solve, to listen to a competent, qualified, and engaged team. And I can sit back saying, oh, thank you that I don't have to be the smartest one on this because I know I'm not. Right. And it's great to hear their input as to how you would solve something like that. Well, that's what they want. Right. It's like, what if we hired really fast, well-trained dog sled dogs and asked them to walk? Right. Yeah. They're they're not going to enjoy the experience. Those dogs are bred to run. So when we go out and hire the best talent that we can afford, they're wired to do what we hired them to do. Let's give them direction because as the musher, the CEO, I've got to point them at least to the next checkpoint. That may be their goal right now is the next checkpoint. Not three checkpoints out because I want them focusing on that next one. Don't get distracted by the future one. But then get out of their way. Right. Get out from in front of them and get behind them and grab onto that card. And really in a great organization, I would say to a CEO, you got an amazing 
amazing team. You better hold on because you guys, right. this organization is going to yep. go some places and it's going to go in places that are really good and exciting. Enjoy the ride. Yeah. You know, I want to touch on something here that you started out with structure. I have said coming from a company, about $250 million, we grew from $21 million to $250 million. And what I really appreciated was there was structure to how we move forward, policies, procedures, a board that was active within our growth. It really makes a difference. I mean, as a lower volume business, you can get away with no structure, but you need it over time, yeah. don't you? It, what I like to say, and because people talk about policies and procedures or the depth of the organization or how our management organization is bolted together, I always say you want the least amount that you have to have in order to be successful with the size and level you're at. Right. So we don't want a system where we've got way more levels than we need and way more procedures than we need. But even in the smallest organization, we have to have an infrastructure. Right. Now, the infrastructure may be informal, but how we talk to each other, how we hand off you know, assignments and who does what. In a company of two people, we're talking every day with one another. We're not writing it down. We don't have to write it down. But as we get larger, we've got more people we need to communicate it to. We've got more people we need to coordinate with. So at some point, writing things down is the way we keep from tripping over ourselves. Right. But we need what's appropriate for the size we are at that time. And as we grow in complexity, more things come into play. So I've been around organizations who have said, yeah, we're really struggling here, Greg. And I go, well, you know, you, you maybe should have a policy for this or a plan for that. And they go, right. you know, we're an organization and we're like a family here and we're going we're gonna to keep it really kind of informal like it was when we started. Right. And that's all well and good when you started. But today it's really hurting you because you're lacking some formality that really would make the organization better. And frankly, an organization that doesn't have the appropriate amount of formality is going to create frustration for the employees. Oh, They're exactly. feeling it. I mean, you mentioned it earlier. It's when you grow and you have more than one site. So it's all right if you're just one factory or one distribution center and that's all we have to deal with. But all of a sudden, if you add two three, multiple, then the structure is very right. important. And add to that the complexity if we acquired that location through acquisition. Right? right. Because a mistake, and it's not so much a mistake as it over is an overestimation of the effort that it's going to take to bring that other location kind of on board with our culture. And I see really in acquisitions, when we talk about the success or failure of an acquisition, I think a lot of acquisitions, particularly large ones, miss the mark. A lot of acquisitions are flagged as failures because of a failure to really understand the gravity and the extent of what it's going to take to integrate the culture of that other organization yeah. so as to get the results that we bought it for. Right. No. It's all about the people. Right. You know, back in the day, buying businesses for the co-op, I would say to that small business owner, when they're talking about staying on with us, I'm not too sure you're going to fit within our culture or our structure. Because guess what? You just don't go out and buy yourself a new pickup truck. This needs to go through a cap expenditure process with the board of directors. So you lose your freedom. You know, going from a single location to multiple locations is a big, big step for a company, no matter how large the organization is. I mean, right. you're a 10-person plumbing shop and you're going to open up another plumbing shop in another, you know, the neighboring town or something. You right. know, that is a high risk business. Now, is it appropriate? Is it good? Absolutely. If acquisition or moving into a new community is the way you're going to grow, but you got to move into that eyes wide open with, right. a, with an 
appreciation for the challenge you're going to face to be able to bring that other, that new location, that new operation up and running the way you want it to be running, which would be like the one you have. Right. And it's so key to have the right management. If your main plant is in Wisconsin and your second office is now in lower Michigan, How long does it take you to get tired of driving through Chicago to get to Lower Michigan? Or maybe take the ferry across and you say to yourself, boy, this is taking time away. I'm not too sure I want to go to Lower Michigan and then things start deteriorating. You know that the results we get individually and corporately are a function of the way we think. And the way we think and the way we behave is the beliefs that we hold. That being said, companies are always going to have a culture. You can't help it. You're going to have a culture. The question is, am I going to be intentional about creating the culture that gets me the behavior and thereby the results that I want, i.e. predictable, or am I going to be accidental? And my story around an accidental culture and an intentional culture goes back to college. Remember back in college, we'd go to a party at somebody's house and everybody was supposed to bring some booze to the party. And then everybody would pour it in the garbage (laughs) can, right? Right. And that's really, when you think about the way we hire employees, everybody is coming with some background, the background that they had at their last employer or the background they had while they were growing up, but they're bringing some background. They're bringing their own bottle. And we're all pouring these together into the garbage can, I mean, figuratively speaking, of this business. None of those garbage cans really tasted good in college, right? They didn't turn out well. They weren't well thought out recipes. And the point of that is, is in business, we do the same thing. When we're hiring people, we hire people and oftentimes we hire people without the notion that, well, what are they bringing in terms of what they believe about how things are done or the boss or the way in which we relate or how important is quality or productivity or all those other things. We just bring them in and we just pour another bottle into the garbage can and then we wonder why we're not getting the results that we should. Or are we approaching our organization? Are we approaching our business results from a recipe point of view? In other words, I'm going to put in three ounces of this and four ounces of that and a half a gallon of something else. And you go, darn, this tastes pretty good. Yep. Well, you know, we're getting good results. We're hitting on all of our cylinders. We're achieving our objectives. Well, it's because the objectives just don't happen on their own. The objectives happen as a result of people doing something and right. people do what they do based on how they think. Yep. And if I can get them to kind of harness those thought processes and align that their thought process, we typically don't think of alignment, you know, in, in structure systems, skills and strategy from a, a mind perspective, but right. really part of the alignment is I want to align the minds of my people. I want to align their thinking, not in a you know negative brainwashing way, but I want to align their thoughts about how do we look at customers? Right. How, how do we treat our fellow employees? Well, what do we believe in our organization about our competition or our products or our markets? What do we believe about them? And how is what we believe then influencing the results that we're getting? Right. You know, one of your S's that you have down here is strategy. And you and I have both served a number of boards where you can tell the difference with somebody that has strategic plan and they're focused on just becoming a better organization, being better for your community, whatever it may be. And so what an interesting piece to say we need some strategy if we're going to continue to grow, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, strategy gets a really bad name sometimes or kind of a bad reputation and it's earned it in, in, in some cases because it really ought to be about function over form. And sometimes we put form ahead of function. You know, a strategy ought to look a certain way and ought to sound a certain way and then we don't execute it on it well at all, right? Right. Or yep. we, we go through all this work of developing this plan and then, then the plan sits on the shelf or we, yep. we don't have follow-up meetings. We don't talk about the plan. We just go on like almost as if 
we didn't have the plan. So sometimes, particularly in smaller organizations, there's a resistance to planning. Why? Because they've heard, maybe they've experienced planning back at another company they worked at and it didn't go well. Yep, we went through this whole planning thing and then nobody did anything about it. And they got a bad taste in their mouth. And I totally get it because I would feel the same way as they do. I said, well, let's forget about all that planning. You have a goal or two for next year? Sure. Well, yeah, I have a goal or two. Great. Let's write that down. Got any ideas how you might achieve that goal? Well, I got a couple. Well, let's write those down too. Right. Now we have goals. Hey, there's your strategy for achieving those goals. Not all of them are going to work. So we got to monitor this. Let's set up some gauges, some feedback mechanisms to tell us if this brilliant idea we came up with is actually working. And then let's be open to say, you know, we're just not getting the results we thought we were going to get. So let's just take a look at it, maybe take a little bit different tact on it. And and here again, I would connect this back to something you said earlier. You know, when we're planning, there's just a lot of people who can have some really good input into the planning process. Yes. And we need to bring those voices in to make a good quality plan. If I've seen maybe problems with plans sometimes, it's that we kind of have this ivory tower approach to it where, you know, the smart people go off and come up with this brilliant plan and then they come back and they impose it almost and they trickle it down through the organization and the people who have to get the work done every day, this plan doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit with the reality of the world we live in. And then we wonder, why isn't the plan working? It was a great idea. Well, it was done without the participation or certainly without the boots on the ground understanding of what is it that it takes to get the work done in this company every day. Yeah, you're exactly right. At times you have, like you say, the ivory tower syndrome where you have this senior management group that isn't going to bring in that person that has dirt and grease on their fingers to talk about what needs to happen. And it's a shame because when you do develop something and you try to cram it down their throats that this is what you're going to do, but it's the wrong thing. Yeah. Oh, boom. There yeah. goes your culture. You know, I had a conversation recently with a, a leader of a company and, and the conversation was around smart goals. And he said, you know, I think we're doing okay with smart goals at the highest level of the organization. But as we push those down, we're not seeing as many smart goals coming forth. And I said, you know, you got to think about goals in, you know, smart, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and time bound, I think is what they are. So anyway, I said, you got to think about this. I said, at the highest level of this organization, this is a company with maybe 150 employees or so. I said, the goals at the the highest level of goals that might take six months or more to complete. But the further we go down in the organization, the shorter the time frame of those goals become and the different that they look. I said, if we go down to the machine level and I go to a machine operator, he absolutely has smart goals. It happens to be his schedule for his machine that day, right. which says, here are the jobs I need to perform today. Time bound. I got eight hours to do it. Here's what I have to get done in my eight hours. And he's got a one day goal because tomorrow he comes in, he's got a new list of jobs he has exactly. to get done. So goals and plans planning. Planning is a good thing, but we can't just take kind of the model we use for planning at the highest level and just impose that on other levels because it may not fit. doesn't mean we're not planning. That guy on that machining center or on whatever it is, absolutely he's planning. He knows what needs to be done. He knows how long he has to do it. It's just a one-day plan. Very, very good point. But if that guy executes his plan every day the way he should, then I'm pretty sure that he's contributing to the success of the larger goal that his supervisor or manager has. And if that happens every day, that's contributing to these larger goals that the company has for its annual success. Oh, exactly. You you satisfy your customer. Yes. You probably see your financial goals being met. Yeah. And the culture is there within that company. Mm -hmm. So, well, Greg, truly appreciate you coming in. Uh, Folks, we're talking about the four S's, structure, 
systems, skills, and strategy. Again, we've been visiting with Greg Goff here, partner with Foxwood Associates here in Green Bay. Thank you so much for coming in and visiting with us, Greg. Thank you, Chuck. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for tuning in to the M&A Cornercast. Hopefully we gave you some insight into the world of mergers and acquisitions. We'll see you back again next Thursday with a brand new episode. 